Open your Bibles to Daniel chapter 10. We're going to finish chapter 10 today. We talk about spiritual warfare. Read with me the chapter. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a revelation was given to Daniel, who was called Belteshazzar. Its message was true, and it concerned a great war. The understanding of the message came to him in a vision. At that time, I, Daniel, mourned for three weeks. I ate no choice food, no meat or wine touched my lips, and I used no lotions at all until the three weeks were over. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, the Tigris, I looked up, and there before me was a man dressed in linen, with a belt of the finest gold around his waist. His body was like chrysolite, his face like lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and his voice like the sound of a multitude. I, Daniel, was the only one who saw the vision. The men with me did not see it, but such terror overwhelmed them that they fled and hid themselves. And so I was left alone, gazing at this great vision. I had no strength left. My face turned deathly pale. I was helpless. Then I heard him speaking, and as I listened to him, I fell into a deep sleep, my face to the ground. A hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. He said, Daniel, you who are highly esteemed, consider carefully the words I'm about to speak to you and stand up, for I've now been sent to you. And when he said this to me, I stood up trembling. And then he continued, Do not be afraid, Daniel, since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard. And I have come in response to them. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. And then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. Now I've come to explain to you what will happen to your people in the future, for the vision concerns a time yet to come. And while he was saying this to me, I, I bowed with my face toward the ground and was speechless. And then one who looked like a man touched my lips and I opened my mouth and began to speak. I said to the one standing before me, I am overcome with anguish because of the vision, my Lord, and I am helpless. How can I, your servant, talk with you, my Lord? My strength is gone and I can hardly breathe. Again, the one who looked like a man touched me and gave me strength. Do not be afraid, O man, highly esteemed, he said. Peace. Be strong now. Be strong. And when he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, Speak, my Lord, since you have given me strength. So he said, Do you know why I have come to you? Soon I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go, the prince of Greece will come. But first I will tell you what is written in the book of truth. No one supports me against them except Michael, your prince. And in the first year of Darius the Mede, I took my stand to support and protect him. We see a number of things in that passage, and, and I want to I walk us through the second half of the chapter, uh, pick up where we left off last time. Just by way of reminder, 
cosmic spiritual forces do seek to influence the affairs and the events of life every single day. Most of the time, I think we are just simply oblivious to the reality of the spiritual realm. Most of the time, we look at events and circumstances and situations simply as coincidences or this is life, and, and, and we, we lose sight of, uh, of spiritual forces and especially evil spiritual forces that are really, really uh, committed to and seeking to influence uh, the events of our life every single day. Now, that's an astounding fact, and it's an astounding fact that is questioned. It's questioned by people who are agnostic. It's questioned by people who are atheists. It's questioned certainly by those who like to think of themselves as the sophisticated and the wise of this world. There have always been people who have scoffed at the idea of a personal devil. There have always been people who have scoffed at the idea of demonic beings, demons, These things, these beings, actually do exist. And they exist in the spiritual world. There's a whole, there's a whole, there's a whole world, a whole existence beyond just what we can see. And the way we know that is God has told us. God has revealed these things to us. But these individuals who scoff at these things, they believe that they're simply just too educated and too intelligent to believe this nonsense. It is fantastic when you think about it. And they would proclaim that these ideas are simply outdated, that these ideas belong to the Dark Ages when people were either too ignorant or superstitious simply to know better. But I want you to note this significant fact, that though they may deny the existence of that spiritual realm, they are readily accepting of other ideas that are just as, as crazy, if you will. I mean, uh, they believe in a subconscious, the subconscious that affects people's mind and body, when in fact there is no, absolutely no scientific proof of a subconscious, and the Bible does not identify a subconscious at all. And yet we have bought into this whole theory uh, put forth by Freud in all of his godless philosophy and beliefs. And yet we bought into it wholesale. And so they'll say, well, it's your subconscious. No such thing. They would readily accept the idea that they're unseen and uncontrollable forces that greatly affect people's Behavior And my question is, well, what are those unseen forces? Well, they're just, they're forces. They're just out there. They're mysterious forces. What are they? They would readily accept the idea that cosmic forces affect and determine people's future. What are those cosmic forces? There's no one who can identify them. And yet, these intelligent, brilliant people readily accept these unnamed forces, whatever they are out there. They readily accept the idea of blind fate and how blind fate uh, controls what happens to people. Nowhere does the Bible talk about that. Nowhere do we see this 
And people say, well, it's just fate. Tell me what fate is. So I want to suggest to you that though they would deny that the reality of the spiritual realm, they still hold to these mysterious forces that are unidentifiable. Believing in fate. Well, it's just my fate. Where is that written? Well, it's not written anywhere. It's just my fate. But God, because he is God, tells us the truth. He cannot do otherwise. He tells us the truth. How many are so glad that God has saved you and opened your eyes and given you this book so you know what the truth is? I mean, just you have to marvel at this. God reveals to us the very fact that there is a realm, a spiritual realm, and that there are evil beings and evil forces that have access to the spirit of man, and these beings can, in fact, influence people to do evil. Now, notice the word I used, influence. They can't make you do anything. The devil made me do it. No, the devil can't make you do anything. But he can influence you. You see that most clearly in our first parents, right? Adam and Eve, and the devil was there to what? Influence them. To seduce them, he couldn't make them eat that poor fruit. So there are these beings. God has revealed that there is a spiritual warfare being fought, and it's being fought for the souls of people. And we're involved in that warfare. How are we involved? We're involved with God in trying to what? See souls one to the kingdom of God. So we are we are intimately involved in that warfare. This warfare is being waged by the devil. His name is Satan. It's being waged by this being who rules over the darkness. He rules over the spiritual wickedness of this world. He does so with his demonic forces. And the Lord issues to us a strong warning A strong warning. We must be prepared for the attacks of the devil. We must be prepared for the attacks of Satan and his demonic forces, lest we be deceived and lest we follow the evil seductions that are thrown across our path throughout every day of our life. You recall Jesus' words to Peter. Simon, Simon. Satan has asked to what? Sift you like wheat. Man, he would like nothing more than to sift each one of us like wheat. To have his way with us. And you saw what happened to Peter in the aftermath of Jesus in his trial and so forth and all the stuff. Peter denies Jesus three times. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul writes, and he, he tells us, he says that the God of this age, that's another term, another, another description of, of the devil, of Satan. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. Why? Why has he done that? So that they cannot see the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of our God. They, so they could not see it. So they couldn't say the truth. 
They're blind. Have you ever, have you ever witnessed to somebody, it's just as clear to you that you know the truth and you understand, it's just, there's no doubt in your mind, and you're witnessing somebody and they just glaze over in front of you? You think, my gosh, what's the matter with you? You're right there involved in spiritual warfare. And Satan has blinded those people. They cannot see the point you're trying to make. The Apostle Paul tells us again in Ephesians chapter 6. He says, our struggle, our struggle is against flesh and blood. Our struggle is against our, our spouses, our neighbors, our brothers and sisters in the church. That's where our struggle is, right? Then why do we live that way? Why do we live as if our struggle is against our spouses? Well, you know, my wife, you know, my husband, you, you, you. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Our struggle is not against our brothers and sisters in the church. But we fall for it every single time. He dupes us. And Paul reminds us, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Our struggle, rather, is against the rulers, is against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. So the Apostle Paul tells us there are spiritual beings. There are ranks, apparently. And they have significant influence. And they are there to divide. They're there to, to deceive. They're there to discourage and ultimately to defeat the purposes of God through his church. You read the history of Israel, and you see time and time and time again where the Israelites were, were thrown off track. Was it just that they, it was just temporal experiences? Was that all? That they were just, just fell into temptation just, just because of their flesh? It starts with our flesh. No, there are spiritual forces behind the scenes that aggravate and, 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 and just cause those things to be, be uh, uh, more and more attractive to our already fallen flesh. We experience this in our own life. It's important, it's vital that you and I remember that our warfare is not against each other. That there are spiritual beings committed to inciting us and to destroying us. The devil is called the accuser of the brethren. When those accusing thoughts enter into your mind against one another, you've got to know exactly where those accusing thoughts have come from. 1 Peter chapter 5. Peter warns us. He says, be alert. Be self-controlled. In other words, have perspective. Don't just be willy-nilly all over the map. Be be self-controlled. Be alert. Why? He says, because your enemy prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. If you knew there was a thief in the neighborhood, would you be on the alert? Would you be wise and careful and, and, and self-controlled? Yeah, of course. There is a thief in the neighborhood in all of our lives. And Peter says what? He says, resist him, standing firm in the faith. 
In other words, you've got to know what you believe and why you believe it if you're going to stand firm. You resist him. James chapter 4, verse 7 says much the same thing. Resist the devil. Resist the devil, and he will what? He'll flee. He'll know that he can't get a foothold there. He can't, he's looking to get a foothold in your life. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul talks about not letting the sun go down on our anger. He says if you, if you do that, if you, if you allow even righteous indignation or righteous anger uh, to last too long, it can sour and you give the devil a foothold in your life. That's all he wants is a foothold. And once he gets a foothold, man, he's going to wreak havoc. And your testimony is shot. Your relationship is a mess. And you're miserable. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Okay, three of you, good. (laughs) Daniel chapter 10 describes a vision that Daniel had in response to his fervent prayer for the Jews who had returned to the promised land. Now chapter 10, the time frame, is the third year of the reign of Cyrus. It's been three years since the Jews had returned back to the land of Palestine. The first year of Cyrus's reign, you recall, he issued uh, a proclamation telling any Jews who wanted to leave Babylon, who were, who were in Babylon for 70 years under Babylonian rule, uh, now that the Persians had conquered them, they could go back. So now it's in the third year. So it's been three years now. And remember, Daniel, being an official, had no doubt heard reports back that there's great opposition in the land, especially to the rebuilding of the temple. Daniel is still in Babylon, or what, or what was Babylon, now it's the Persian Empire. And so he's praying for these Jews who are back in the Promised Land, who have given up in the rebuilding of the temple because of opposition. Is it easy to give up in the face of opposition? Yes. It, don't you see how critical... It is that there are those of us who stand in the gap and pray when we know about those situations. Chapter 10 also gives us insight into how demonic forces were influencing this process. How demonic forces were, in fact, working hard to prevent Daniel's prayer from being answered so that the Jews then could benefit by the fruit of his prayer and fulfill God's destiny for them, not only to rebuild the temple, but to be a light to the Gentiles, and indeed that God's word would go forward, and indeed that ultimately the Messiah would come into the world. The devil would love nothing more than than to destroy Israel. You know why? Because if he could destroy Israel, guess who would not be born? Jesus And you see time and time and time again throughout the record, the history of the Old Testament, you see Israel coming really close to being absolutely destroyed. Why? Because the devil knows that if Jesus is born, man, his, his goose is cooked. If I can just keep him from being born, if I can disqualify that woman, Mary, 
if I can do something. And ultimately, Jesus has to be nailed to the cross. Can you imagine the dancing that's going on in hell because of finally we got him? But hallelujah for Easter. (laughs) Death could not hold him down. The resurrection. Daniel needed to understand He needed to understand that evil spiritual forces stand against the Lord and against his people and against God's purposes. You and I need to understand the same thing. So we'll quit biting each other. So that we'll wake up and we'll enjoin the war, but not against each other. Am I making sense here? We read verses 4 through 9, and in verses 4 through 9, Daniel has this vision of this awesome being. And I suggested to you last time that probably this being is a pre-incarnate presence of Christ before he became Jesus on earth. And the result of this is he passes out. I suspect that if you and I had seen that vision, we'd be out cold also. Now, verse 10 tells us Daniel references a hand, a hand reaching down to touch him. The point being, I think, that another heavenly being now has entered the scene. This is possibly, or I should say there is possibly, a significant break between verse 9 and verse 10 suggesting that this awesome, glorious being from verses 4 through 9 has left the scene. And now there is another being, an angelic being. Daniel, still weak and trembling from his encounter with this awesome person, was strengthened by this second being, this angel. The angel, unnamed, some have thought, is this this Gabriel? Because Gabriel has appeared to him twice before. If that were Gabriel, then presumably Daniel would recognize him and or he would identify himself as Gabriel as he's done in the past. This is an unnamed angel. We don't know who it is. But he told Daniel that Daniel was highly esteemed in the eyes of the Lord. There in a single one of us, there's not a single one of us that couldn't do with somebody saying, you know what, I appreciate you. I like you. God bless you. Saying something nice to us, isn't that true? Daniel's in such an such a emotional, spiritual state here. He needs to be encouraged. Reminded that he's highly esteemed. That's already been said to him earlier, hadn't it? Chapter 9. He's highly esteemed in the eyes of the Lord. Literally, Daniel is a highly desired person. Daniel is a precious man coveted by God. Wow, isn't that beautiful? Clearly this angelic visitation is for Daniel so that he could take encouragement. Kind of reminds us of Gabriel's words to Mary back in Luke's gospel when he tells her she's about to give birth to the Son of God. Did that take your breath away? And the angel says, do not be afraid, Mary, 
for you have found favor with God. Isn't that wonderful? You and I should never live in fear. Why? Because we have found favor with God. We, should, we have found favor with God. And if God be for me, who can be against me? Whoa! Do we forget that? Yes, we do. The angel then exhorts Daniel to listen carefully to this special message and to stand up to receive it. Stand up, Daniel. Stand up. For it was the purpose of the angel's coming to reassure Daniel that God's purpose in giving him the vision was gracious and loving and Daniel had nothing to fear. Come on, stand up. Rise up. Don't be afraid. And Daniel's further encouraged by the exhortation of the angel. Do not be afraid, Daniel. Verse 12. Then the angel gives Daniel a very special, captivating insight, I think, into the spiritual warfare constantly being waged between the forces of good and evil in the heavenly realms. And to ally Daniel's fear even further... The angel informs him that from the very beginning of his intercession, the very beginning of his prayer, this is absolutely astounding. From the very beginning of his prayer, three weeks before, God had seen fit to answer that prayer and send this angelic messenger to him. As soon as you started praying, your words were heard. And I'm here in answer to that prayer. What a reassurance it is that when you and I come to God, as Daniel did, setting, now notice, look at verse 12 with me, setting our minds to gain understanding and to humble ourselves before our God. What did Daniel do? He set his mind to gain what? Understanding. God, I want to know your will. And we come not arrogantly, we come Humbly. How did Daniel humble himself before God? By his fasting. Even though it was a partial fast, he still fasted for three weeks. He, remember, fasting is not just a religious work. It is a spiritual discipline to deliberately put ourselves in a weakened condition where we have to become dependent upon God, where in our weakness, his strength is perfected. That's what Paul tells us, right? So that's why we fast. So he humbled himself before his God, acknowledging him and wanting to know his will. And we, I think it's, it's fair to say that we may expect the same experience that Daniel did of God's response, that our words would be heard and a messenger dispatched to us. However, the, the angel tells Daniel that there was a delay. And in verse 13, the delay is explained. The reason for the delay is given. The delay was because of the opposition of the prince of the Persian kingdom who resisted this angelic messenger for the entire 21-day period. Now, this prince is not the king of the kingdom of Persia. This prince, rather, is the angelic leader of the Persian kingdom. A fallen angel or a demon under the direction of Satan. 
This would, of course, be in contrast to the angelic chief prince, the archangel Michael, who leads, apparently, and protects Israel. All during the period of Daniel's fasting and prayer, a spiritual conflict was going on. And this was resolved by the coming of Michael, who is described as one of the chief princes. Michael seems to be, I think, um, the most powerful of the holy angels. And with his assistance, the messenger to Daniel is released to fulfill his mission. Notice the last phrase of verse 13. The last phrase of verse 13 says, I was detained there with the king of Persia. In various translations, it's translated a little bit differently. This is how the NIV translates it. But actually, uh, it reads this way. And it's an awkward reading, but that's why they translate it the way it did in the NIV. But actually, it reads this way. I was left over there beside the kings. I was left over there beside the kings. You have to picture this. Michael has come. The angel has been detained. He's been involved in warfare. He can't get away from this demon. Michael comes, effectively releases him. So the angel is saying, I was left over. I could go now. I was left over next to, beside the kings, while Michael took over. Do you follow that? So that's really actually how it reads. And the word king is actually in the plural. It's kings. The implication, I think, being that a victory of major character was won against these demonic forces, which had been previously controlling the kingdom of Persia. And the result, now the subsequent result of this great victory, uh, was that the kingdom of Persia now would become the object of God's use in furthering his purposes. Uh, You recall that uh, in uh, chapter 6, when um, um, Daniel is thrown in the lion's den, he's thrown in the lion's den because he has been what? Remember what he's done? He was praying. In spite of the decree not to pray to any other being, any other God, any other thing, except what? Except uh, the God of, 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 the, of Persia. But Darius is the king. Now, Darius actually is a vice regent under Cyrus. Cyrus is the, is the Persian king. He installs Darius over Babylon to rule in his stead, kind of as a vice regent. And so this whole process is going on, and it's in that context of that environment, that process, where Darius now, his heart is turned towards Daniel, isn't it? He goes to the, are you there? Are you still alive in there? This is a pagan king. Why does that happen? It's because the effect of this warfare happening in the spiritual realm, Michael has come, and this, this warfare has affected the kings of Persia. All the kings of Persia, that by the subjugation of, these, of this demon of the Persian kingdom, his influence not only over Cyrus, but his influence over all the following kings of Persia was brought to an end 
so that the whole of the Persian kings now become accessible to the influence of God and to God's advancing purposes for Israel. Uh, it was in that environment where, where Cyrus issued that edict so the Jews could go back to the promised land. You see this, you, you just do not realize and know what's going on in the spiritual realm and what our prayers can accomplish and why God enjoins us to pray, to intercede, the effect it can have. And you see this, this huge release Cyrus, Darius, these Persian kings now somehow are released from the influence of these demon, this demon, so now they can serve God's purpose. You say, couldn't God just do that on his own? I think so, but for his purposes, he chooses to use angels and us in the process. We're not superfluous to his process and to his purposes. See, I wonder... I wonder if answers to our prayers may not be hindered by some unseen obstacle. Have you ever wondered about that? What's hindering this prayer? What could possibly, what unseen obstacle could possibly hinder your prayer, do you think? Sin? Sin? The psalmist says, if I regard sin in my heart, God will not hear my prayers. So you want to, when you want to, when you pray, you say, Lord, you know, part of a prayer is what I confess my sins, I repent of my sins. I want to make sure that I, I'm, I'm as righteously, humanly possible as I come to you. I don't want to come to you as a, an absolute total hypocrite. What other unseen things could hinder my prayer? What if I'm a husband? Because there anything that could hinder my prayer as a husband? What, what could it be? Yeah, not living with my wife in an understanding way. That's what Peter says, right? Husbands, if you're not doing this, your prayers will be hindered. Duh, really? How about spiritual forces? How about demons? Do you think they might be able to hinder your prayers? Well, clearly hindered Daniel's. Yeah, but I'm a Christian. Doesn't that make it different? I don't know how. Paul tells us about, about spiritual warfare. Be on your alert. If God's answers don't come easily, if God's answers don't come quickly, what shall we do? We have only two alternatives. Luke 18.1, Jesus tells us, what are our alternatives? If God's answers don't come quickly or easily, what should we do? Continue to pray or give up? We have no other alternative, isn't that true? So the question is, my prayer doesn't seem to be answered. My prayer doesn't seem to be answered. And how many want their prayers answered just like that right now? Right now. Right now. Come on, God. Come on, God. Go, God. <laughs> how many know his timing is absolutely perfect? If our prayers are not answered easily or quickly, keep praying. Pray through. Pray through. Don't quit. Don't give up. How many know what I'm talking about? Expect God to answer at the right time, according to his time. Peter says, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. 
James chapter 5, this is a great passage. James chapter 5, verse 13. James says, is any one of you in trouble? Call your lawyer. (laughs) Is that what it says? What does it say? (laughs) Pray. Pray. If any of you is in trouble, pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. Notice, it's all about what? Prayer. It's connecting our need with his resources. And that connection point is prayer. The prayer offered in faith. Question is, do I believe? Do I really believe God? Can I trust God? Can I put my life in his hands, really? If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. And look at this last sentence. The prayer of a righteous man is what? Powerful and effective. Daniel, would you say Daniel would fall in the category of a righteous man? Yeah, one who's highly esteemed by God. His prayer is powerful and effective. Was it delayed 21 days? Yes. But it is nonetheless powerful and effective. We see the effect on the Persian kingdom. Are you with me on this? You in my camp? All right. Now again, as I said, chapter 10 gives us a hint of this cosmic battle that parallels the earthly struggles of God's people. There are two levels of warfare. We're struggling here, but there's a spiritual warfare that's going on, and it parallels our experiences. You cannot lose sight of that. The prince of the Persian kingdom was a supernatural being who leads that kingdom and fights to keep it under the control of evil powers. Demons fight to keep people, especially those who are unsaved, under the control of the denizens of hell. And they battle against us because we know the truth. They intimidate us. They mock us. They say, oh, you don't want to be laughed at. You don't want to be foolish. Shut your mouth. You don't know what you're talking about. And all those things are suggestions to us to influence us to stay out of the battle so that the lost are still under the control of evil forces. There are hints throughout the Old Testament of, what's, of, of, what, of what people term today as territorial spirits. There's a, there's a whole school of thought and, and, and a whole, a whole ministries built on Uh, what's called territorial spirits. These are spirits that that govern uh, communities, nations, people groups, and uh, evangelistic groups. Let's say they want to go in and they want to uh, carry on a crusade in a community, and they'll, 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 they'll turn to people who spiritually map that community. They'll, they'll do a a kind of look background to the history of the city and find out all the stuff that's going on and, and, and try to discern the, the identities and names of the spiritual beings that, that, 
that have been assigned, apparently, to that community so they can better effectively evangelize. I'm not given to that, uh, to that extreme, but I don't disbelieve in the fact that there are spiritual forces over different communities of people in different nations even, as we see here revealed in Daniel chapter 10. And so uh, we see these in other passages. Let me just run a couple of these past you, and, and you'll get the idea. In Deuteronomy chapter 32, uh, we read this. Moses says, When the Most High gave the nations their inheritance, when he divided all mankind, he set up boundaries for the peoples. Now, how did God set up those boundaries? He set up the boundaries according to the number of the sons of Israel. Now, that's the NIV translation. There's an alternative translation that says, according to the number of the sons of God. That would be a reference to the angels. So again, it's an oblique, vague reference. Some people believe, talks about angels being over different areas where where God has set up boundaries for peoples. So there's, there's angelic beings, demons over Japan over America, over Thailand, over Mexico. And uh, these, these, this thinking gives rise to understanding, well, that's why there's so much evil going on in these places, because these forces, and if you look into the, to the spiritual background of these places, you understand that they are idolatrous in terms of their worship. So the Bible quite possibly refers to God's angelic creatures who make up his heavenly council as the sons of God. There are angels, in other words, assigned to different nations or to different states. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 19, we see another vague reference to this. And when you look up in the sky and see the sun, the moon, and the stars, all the heavenly array... Do not be enticed into into bowing down to them and worshiping the things the Lord your God has apportioned to all the nations under heaven. Now that last phrase is taken to say and to suggest that God has apportioned these spiritual beings to oversee and to govern and to dominate various nations. They're pictured by the elements of nature. We know that lots and lots of people have worshipped and still do worship nature. People worship the sun, they worship the moon, they worship the, the trees, they worship a river, they worship a mountain, uh, and, and all of that. And, but, but really what's behind those aspects of nature are spiritual forces of darkness. So they, these pagans would believe that the moon, if it's not a god in itself, it is the habitation or the representation of a god. Do you follow what I'm saying? And so when you look in these these scriptures, if you read it closely, you can see very possibly that there is a reference then to these beings. Same connection between rebellious human uh, power represented in governments and in states and evil cosmic powers can be seen in Isaiah chapter 24. Here's another passage. And there are a number of these. There's just a few I've selected. In Isaiah chapter 24, you read this. In that day, and this is a little bit more clear, in that day the Lord will punish, notice, the powers in the heavens above and the kings on the earth below. The powers in the heavens above. 
Might that be a reference then to angelic demonic powers? And notice they're related to kings on the earth below. So there's a connection, presumably, between evil forces and those rulers on the earth. This is why we pray for our leaders. Pray for the king. Pray for our president. You may, you may have you know, various feelings regarding some of our leaders, but we as Christians are called to pray for them because they are then very possibly under the influence of these evil, deceptive spirits. He says, They will be herded together like prisoners bound in a dungeon. They'll be shut up in prison and be punished after many days. So he's talking about what God's going to do and how he's going to finally bring judgment. We must be very, very careful not to speculate on these hints in the Bible, but that there are spiritual powers, good and bad, behind the various human institutions is a truth, I think, taught by the Old and New Testament. There are spiritual forces, there are evil spiritual forces assigned to this church, I believe, that seek to deceive and discourage and to inhibit the work that God wants to accomplish in and through this body. We have to be aware of that. Not afraid of them, just be aware. Resist them. Now, if you go back to Daniel 10, look at verse 14. Verse 14, the angel then explains to Daniel that his purpose in coming is to make Daniel understand what would happen to his people in the future. Now, remember, Daniel is praying for his people. He knows they're experiencing opposition. He knows that the rebuilding of the temple has ceased. So he's been praying and fasting, and now the angel comes to reveal to him I want to tell you, Daniel, what's going to happen to your people in the future. And the angel explains that much time will be involved in this vision, in this future. Because he says, uses this this phrase, he says, for the vision concerns a time yet to come. Which the implication is it's going to be off in the future. Which would include, in fact, that, that phrase, a time yet to come, has also been translated the latter days. Have you ever heard that expression? It's also been translated the end of days. So this is a time that, that many scholars think includes, is not limited to, but includes the end of days. This is an important chronological term that relates to the prophetic program regarding Israel that's been being laid out to Daniel in the book of Daniel. And this phrase is seen to refer to the entire history of Israel, beginning as early as the predictions of Jacob. If you go back to the book of Genesis in chapter 49, verse 1, Jacob is leaning on his staff. He's about to pass off the scene. He's got his 12 sons before him, and he's telling them what the future is going to hold. Listen to the words he uses in that text. He's telling them what will happen to you in the days to come, or you can also translate it, in the end of the days. So the 12 tribes, the Israelites, all God's plan is going to be played out through the end of time, which will culminate in the second coming of Jesus Christ to the earth. Now, Daniel's concern for his people, which again was probably the reason for his 21 days of prayer and fasting, has to be somewhat relieved 
by this specific revelation. In other words, God is in control. <sighs> okay. Now, the particulars of the vision include the experience of the Jews, and the vision will be, if you want to read ahead, the vision that he receives about the future is chapter 11 and chapter 12 of Daniel. Now, we'll get there in September. Obviously, we're not going to get there this morning. So you get to read it for two months. So it would include the experience of the Jews under the time of Antiochus Epiphanes, who was a cruel ruler during the 2nd century B.C., and it will extend clear through the Great Tribulation just before Jesus' second coming. And I suspect that Daniel probably didn't understand the details of this vision. Because when you read the vision, it is just full of images and such. There's no clear identity, and you have to look back to see how it was fulfilled from history. So I suspect that Daniel did not understand the details, much like you and I have difficulty understanding these details. But he had to be reassured. He had to be reassured because through the revelation of the angel and this vision, the reassurance was that God's in control. God's in control. And that he had a plan which would end in his ultimate glory. How many believe God's in control? I mean, really, you look at your life, God's in control. I don't understand the details. I don't know what's going on here specifically. I know some of it's hard and it's difficult. But God is in control, and I know that he's working out his will for my good and his ultimate glory, right? Therein lies a hope, reassurance. And although the prophecies made clear that there were powerful forces at work against the Jews, which would, in fact, inflict upon them much suffering and much loss, in the end, the power of God would triumph. And in the end, Israel would be exalted as a nation. This is the promise to Daniel. When Daniel learned that these spiritual forces had opposed his prayer, he was completely blown away. Verse 15, he is utterly overwhelmed, completely speechless. Through prayer, he had been involved in this cosmic battle, this cosmic warfare, and he was, in the entire time, he was totally unaware of what was going on. It's just like when you and I pray, we don't necessarily see and understand that we're involved in this spiritual battle that's going on. We're fighting for this person. We're fighting for this situation. We're battling not the person, not just the temporal situation. We're battling spiritual forces that are governing and influencing that person or that situation. And that person may be oblivious to that, right? They're clueless. If you were to tell me, you know, I'm battling against a demon that's got control of your life. Don't do that. You just need to know. You're enjoying warfare, spiritual warfare. And he was totally unaware of the importance of his individual prayer. Well, you know, I'm just one person. I don't know what my prayer could do. God takes the little things and makes much out of them. He can take a few fishes and loaves and feed the multitudes. He can take our little prayers. Amen? 
But his prayer was so important that the Lord sent some of the most powerful angels of heaven to make sure that his prayer was answered. Whoa, doesn't that just grab you? I love that. (laughs) How important prayer must be. What a lesson for us to seek God's mercy, to seek God's grace, to seek God's power in behalf of others, be they individuals or be they groups. Once more, the angel encourages Daniel, touching his lips. Daniel now is encouraged to speak. He told the angel he was overcome with anguish at the vision end of the spiritual warfare that is fought over prayer. He could hardly breathe. The angel again strengthened him and told him not to be afraid because, again, he was greatly esteemed. So Daniel is now strengthened. He's strengthened to receive the message of this vision, which, again, is encompassed in chapters 11 and 12. He prepares to reveal the prophecy to Daniel. He tells Daniel that he'll soon return to the battle with the prince of Persia. Then he says, and then the prince of Greece is coming. Interesting insight, because Persia and Greece, in turn, did have power over God's people. And though apparently defenseless, the Jews have on their side this angelic messenger who is helped by Michael. The conflict will be such as to cause doubt as to whether God's people can survive. Have you ever been to a place where you like you gender your rope? It looks desperate. There's no hope. We're going down. The ship's going down. It can look absolutely desperate. How many have been on the receiving end of God's grace in those desperate moments when God has just shown up at the last possible moment? You go, See, this vision is intended to give give Daniel and all who would read the book of Daniel, these prophecies, it's intended to give unshakable assurance that desperate as the situation may be, God is fully in control and he is able to disclose these sequence of events before they happen Evidence that he's in control. I know the future. I've ordained the future. I got it all under control. Cool your jets. (laughs) May I suggest to you that apart from God's righteousness and apart from the restraining power of these holy angels, apparently, evil would run absolutely rampant across the face of this earth and every human being would be destroyed. We can hardly wait to destroy one another. Isn't that true? Just let me hit them once. Aren't you glad there are angels restraining us? Aren't you glad that God's righteousness rules in your life? Before the angel would leave, he had to reveal to Daniel the events of the book of truth. We're introduced to a new book. What in the world is the book of truth? Well, you could say the scriptures are the book of truth. If you go back to chapter 7, we read the books were opened. 
books plural. We know there's the book of life in which the names of all those who are saved are written. We know there's the books of scripture. We know there are other books. We don't know exactly what they are. There's a reference here to the book of truth. Evidently, this is a reference to to God's knowledge and God's control over all of mankind, over all of creation, over the past, over the present, over the future. It's God's record of every individual, every people group, every institution. It's God's records, the book of truth. What was Jesus, one of Jesus' constant refrains in the Gospels? Do you remember? He was constantly telling people, I tell you the truth. I tell you the truth. He knew exactly what the truth was. And here, in this particular case, this vision, the facts to be revealed to Daniel are already in God's record And they are to become part of Scripture, which is delivered to us. God's book of truth. In closing the revelation, the angel again stated that he and Michael had been opposing these demonic forces since the first year of Darius' reign over Persia. That would take you back to Daniel chapter 6. And this again was when the decree of Cyrus was issued. Beloved, as much as any passage in Scripture, chapter 10 teaches the supreme importance of prayer. Chapter 10 teaches us the supreme importance of prayer. God answers prayer. Say that with me. God answers prayer. If you are sincere... If you are fervent, genuinely seeking for God, genuinely seeking for His will, genuinely seeking for Him to act, He will. He will. He moves the events, the affairs of history, of society, as well as of individuals and leaders. All in answer to prayer. The question is, do we believe that? Do we believe that praying can make a difference? Because of prayer, because of prayer, God will strengthen and help us. Because of prayer, God will save us and our families. I had a man after the Friday night service come up and tell me, he said, that is so true. That is so true. My dad was 85 years old. He just died. And his whole life he denied Christ. And we prayed. He says, I've been praying my father for years and years and years. And he finally confessed Jesus. Prayer. Persistent prayer. And because of prayer, God will free us from the bondages and the enslaving habits of life. Because of prayer, God will rescue our marriages and our friendships. Because of prayer, God will give us understanding and wisdom. Because of prayer, He will help us financially. He'll help us educationally. He'll help us professionally. 
Because of prayer, God will give us and our loved ones the hope of heaven and of life everlasting. And because of prayer, God will deliver us either from or through whatever trial or whatever temptation confronts us, even through the crisis of death. There is nothing that God will not do for the person who truly believes and seeks him. I recall to your attention the verse in 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9. And it's here where we read, the eyes of the Lord range throughout the entire earth to encourage or to strengthen those whose hearts are fully what? Committed to him. God, I'm yours. Your will be done. I know you'll strengthen me. I know that you hear this prayer. I know that you're moving on my behalf. I know. In James chapter 5, verse 16, James tells us that the fervent prayer of the righteous is powerful and effective. Wow. Prayer. Prayer is the most powerful way you and I can intervene in another person's life. However, we must always keep in mind the teaching of Daniel chapter 10. Because of the powerful effect of prayer, the demonic forces of hell will oppose us. Satan will do everything he can. He will do everything he can to keep us from praying, keep us from continuing to pray, receiving answers to our prayers, living righteously, and following the Lord. He's going to pose us all the way down the line. For this reason, again, the Bible tells us we must prepare ourselves to stand against the satanic onslaught. The battle belongs to who? It's the Lord. But we stand. He's the king. We're his foot children. We're enjoying the battle, but he empowers us. Again, I want to remind you of Ephesians chapter 6. Apostle Paul tells us, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to what? Stand your ground. And after you've done everything, to stand. Stand firm then. Do you think think it means for us to stand? Or to get blown over? Stand. He says, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, all those accusing thoughts, all those lies, all those deceptions, all those discouraging thoughts. 
And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests with this in mind. Be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. That, beloved, is God's resource to us. Pray, but be equipped. Otherwise, guess what? You're going to get blown away. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you again for your provision. Thank you, God, for your word. Thank you, Lord, for the, the mighty dynamic of prayer. I pray, God, that we would all have a richer understanding of prayer. And, Lord, that we would only persist and realize that, Lord, you do answer prayer. Father, we again this morning say, your will be done. We ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen, church? Amen. Amen. Turn to your neighbor, tell your neighbor one thing that you learned this morning that's important to you. One thing. Pronounce a blessing on your neighbor. And if it's appropriate, only if it's appropriate, give your neighbor a holy hug and very possibly a holy kiss. Let's stand together and praise God one more time before we dismiss.